Welcome, everyone. Um, it's my great pleasure to welcome you to the NUS MEI's flagship series, uh, ME101. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, in our final lecture in the series, we are going to switch our attention to Central Asia. Um, recently, our chairman, uh, Bilhari Kauskan, spoke of a new form of globalization, where in practice, events have broken down and rendered obsolete conventional geographical divisions of Eurasia, to Europe, South Asia, Southeast Asia, Northeast Asia, and Middle East. Instead, we should now think in terms of Eurasia. As the world moves towards greater multipolarity and fluidity, this Eurasian supercontinent, of which Central Asia is at the heart, is set to play an integral role in this future world order. And I think this is also part of what we mean when we decided to include this lecture in the series and title it uh, Centrality of Central Asia. To tell us more about Central Asia, we have um, MEI's Principal Research Fellow, Dr. Alessandro Arduino, here today. Those of you who have been following the lectures from week to week might remember Dr. Arduino. Uh, he delivered one of the early lectures on the role of China in the Middle East. We're very pleased to welcome him back this week to talk about Central Asia. Uh, aside from his position with MEI, uh, Dr. Arduino is also the co-director of the Security and Crisis Management International Center at the Shanghai Academy of Social Science and an external associate at Lao China Institute, King's College, London. Dr. Arduino's two decades of experience in China encompass security analysis and crisis management. His main research interests include China, Central Asia and Middle East and North Africa relations, sovereign wealth funds, private military companies and private security companies, and China's security and foreign policy. He has published far and wide among them several books, as well as several articles in uh, three different languages, Italian, English, and Mandarin. So without further ado, uh, over to you, Dr. Arduino. The floor is yours. Yeah, thank you very much for your two kind introduction. Uh, good evening to everybody. And uh, thank you for being here with us today at uh, the, the closing series of MEI 101. Uh, the Middle East lecture series. Uh, I'm uh, very excited to having the chance to talk with you today about Central Asia. And it's not by chance that the title of today's presentation is Centrality of Central Asia. And I see this not uh, as a, a concluding event, uh, but maybe is a starting point for the next year event, uh, thanks to the fact uh, that probably we are going to see an increase of importance uh, uh, and relationship between Asian and especially Singapore with Central Asia, despite uh, the COVID-19. Uh, considering uh, that uh, Central Asia, historically speaking, economically speaking, and even now in, in matter of international relation has been quite neglected in my personal opinion from history book uh, or for the global talk about international relation and strategy. Uh, today, I'm just uh, looking to give you a broader picture in a broader canvas uh, about uh, what is Central Asia, uh, what are the main trends uh, of Central Asia, and especially why here at the Middle East Institute we are talking about Central Asia. We don't have to forget uh, that uh, Arab influence in Central Asia, right. Islam as, uh, as religion, and even in pre-Islamic time when uh, uh, Persian influence was great in all Central Asia, several area and several city played a greater role as a Renaissance 
of uh, the civilization, not only in, in Central Asia, but in a broader area. So we can see it uh, as a greater Middle East, or if we look with another angle perspective, as a greater Central Asia. Nowadays, uh, the story about Central Asia is the fact that uh, it's located at the heart of Europe, is Eurasia, about the heart of Eurasia. And uh, uh, recent history is related to primary influence uh, of Russia. But uh, nowadays, there is an increasing uh, income of Chinese investment in the area. And Eurasia, with Central Asia at the heart, is not only a bridge between uh, East and West China and Europe, but at the same time, uh, it's going to be a north-south axis bridge between uh, Eurasia, South Asia, and the Middle East. Uh, if you look at the map, basically, you are going to see most important thing about all Central Asia is the fact uh, that uh, the country in Central Asia are landlocked country. It means that you need to cross another country in order to reach the sea. Exception are the Caspian Sea and the Aral Sea, but basically are with the Caspian Sea, the greatest uh, salt water lake in the world. And the Aral Sea, due to the change uh, in climate change and to the increased use of water hydric resources is shrinking by the day. And then if you look especially at this map and you look at Uzbekistan, Uzbekistan is only one of the two countries in the world with Luxembourg, if I recall correct, that is double landlocked. It means that you have to cross two countries in order to reach the sea. So as you notice, uh, these landlocked countries are in between, as I mentioned before, not only uh, with China to the European Union, but also in a north-south axis that is linking with Iran, Afghanistan, Pakistan, and then moving to the Middle East. Uh, what we define first and foremost as Central Asia. And this is not even an easy task because normally the, uh, what we refer as Central Asia are five countries, uh, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, Uzbekistan, and Turkmenistan, the five that are present in this map from the United Nations. But if you see at research uh, by academician, by multilateral development bank, uh, by teen tank, and even by government, uh, several times uh, Central Asia is uh, defined uh, with Mongolia being part of it, or even with uh, Afghanistan being part of it, or related uh, to Caucasus and uh, Central Asia. So uh, this is not just a case now, but all along uh, recent history, we, we have been witnessing uh, several labels related to, to Central Asia. This label, uh, the most recent, uh, refer to the new Silk Road economic belt, and this is uh, the Chinese uh, 
initiative that now is called the Belt and Road Initiative that uh, not by chance started uh, in 2013 in Nazarbayev University when uh, in Kazakhstan, when President Xi Jinping presented the vision of the Silk Road Economic Belt. Then uh, other labels that are attached to Central Asia are the one of the Iron Silk Road and is the one that we use at the uh, in 2010, 2015, basically uh, in Russia to see uh, a, a kind of counter altar to, to the Chinese uh, increasing economic uh, presence in Central Asia. And then uh, a label that has been in the last 20 years used and abused is the new great game. I'm not going to criticize much the use of this label because even I utilized it several times in, uh, in, in my paper, and it referred mainly uh, to the game that were played in a strategic, tactical, geopolitical term between greater empire, the British empire, the Tsarist empire, and later on uh, uh, during Soviet Union and other conflict in, in the area. Most importantly, uh, another label is the one used by Sir Halford Mackinder. Uh, Mackinder in the early 20th century defined Central Asia as the key in terms of world domination. He called Central Asia the heartland in a so-called pivot area. Uh, Central Asia, according to Mackinder, was uh, of utmost strategic importance for security in the 20th century and his uh, basically a theory of world power was arguing that land-based power, uh, it was more important than uh, the convention at the time that was uh, uh, sea power. Invincible sea power was uh, a theory advocated by Alfred Tayen Mahan during uh, the century before in the 19th century. But looking at today, definitely Central Asian countries, despite the pandemic and COVID-19, are aiming to return to a place of historical relevance, not only as a trading hub, but also as a cultural hub, as it happened during the great Central Asia Renaissance from the 7th century to the, to the 14th century. In my personal opinion, uh, up to now, there are still significant opportunity in the economy of Central Asia. And especially uh, if the, the, the country, the five countries in Central Asia are going to be able to face uh, the challenge and uh, all uh, the socioeconomic transition process that they are called to overcome is going to be very important for cooperation, not only with China, with Russia, with the European Union, but especially with Asian country and with Singapore. Having said that, if you didn't have the chance to listen to just two days ago, uh, distinguished lecture by His Excellency Vladimir Norov, the Secretary General of the SEO here at the MEI Institute, uh, and uh, he was uh, uh, hosted uh, by our chairman, Bilahari Kauzikan, I, I strongly encourage you to see uh, the recorded version on, uh, on YouTube. Having said that, uh, uh, as I mentioned before, these five countries uh, started a transition, a socioeconomic transition uh, with the same 
amount of problems, but uh, during the last two decades, uh, they define a different developing pattern. So we see that we have Kazakhstan, Kyrgyz Republic, Tajikistan, Turkmenistan, and Uzbekistan, if we just go a little bit back to the map. And uh, in the 1991, it's quite a pivotal date for this country, is the date with the demise of the Soviet Union. Each one had to start its own pattern in facing socioeconomic transition and facing challenge of a changing international geopolitical order on the demise of the bipolar order. And especially the fact that they started sharing the same challenge and this challenge are national identity coming from uh, a Soviet, uh, from the Soviet Union, uh, where the lingua franca was Russian, a close proximity to major power, cross-border resource management, uh, underinvestment, uh, poverty in several areas, infrastructure that were not able to provide uh, sustainable development, uh, and especially create a job for a very young population. Uh, this country, uh, if we see the overall uh, Central Asia, uh, we are not going to see uh, a greater population. We are going to see uh, 72 million uh, in terms of population, but it's a huge land. If you look at Kazakhstan alone, who is the largest country in, uh, in Central Asia, the population is just 80 million, while the most populated country is Uzbekistan. Uh, as you see in, uh, in the picture here in the, in the shared PPT, the future is still linked to tourist, for example, opportunity, like the picture is Samarkand. Uh, it was at the core of the Silk Road, but then you can see the challenge. The challenge, the other picture that you see uh, is the Aral Lake, and the lake has been progressively shrinking due to changing in, uh, in climate condition. So they share this, uh, this challenge. And if we go back uh, to the map, you can see that also in the southern part of Central Asia, uh, there is a proximity with Afghanistan, with Turkmenistan, Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, uh, sharing part uh, of their border and uh, sharing a looming terrorist threat uh, from Afghanistan in terms uh, of returning foreign fighters uh, from the Middle East, North Africa, through Afghanistan. And this looming terrorist threat uh, is still part of the threat matrix uh, uh, to the region. Uh, again, uh, then one of the questions that you can start to have is say, okay, we are talking about China now, we are talking about Russia, but again, uh, what the link with the Middle East? Historically speaking, Central Asia in uh, pre-Islamic time had uh, a very strong influence from the Persian, Iranian language in several areas, then from Turkic language, and if you see especially in Turkmenistan, in Tajikistan, the linguistic influence uh, from, from Turkey uh, is very strong, but again, the, the entire historical uh, renaissance uh, of, uh, of the region is, uh, is still uh, neglected because some of the most important thinker like uh, Ibn Sina, a native of Bukhara, uh, better known in the West uh, with the vulgarization of his name uh, in Avicenna, uh, was a polymath. 
he was well versed in advanced mathematics, in poetry, in literature, but also in medicine. And his canon, uh, the canon, was the basic of all the Middle uh, Age and Renaissance tests in, uh, in, uh, in Europe. From Absina, we can move uh, to the picture on the left with Timur. And uh, on the top, uh, we have Ulugbeg, who was uh, called uh, the astronomer king. Ulugbeg, uh, nothing from the area of Samarkanda, was not one of the last uh, Timurid uh, ki uh, king, but he's also uh, a well-versed mathematician and uh, the advancement uh, in uh, astronomic calculation during the time of Ulugbeg were extremely important. We have to recall that at the time the caravan were moving from China uh, across uh, Eurasia and being able uh, to pinpoint uh, at night uh, on a map, uh, the exact position was only possible due to the advancing mathematical calculations, spherical mathematics uh, that uh, Ulugbeg promoted uh, uh, in the area of uh, what is now modern Uzbekistan. Uh, mostly in the text, uh, all these polymaths uh, moving from Absina, uh, Fargani, Gazari, uh, and uh, Ulugbeg himself are uh, referenced as Arab, but at the time they are Central Asian. Just the fact that as now Russian is the lingua franca of Central Asia, at the time Arabic was uh, the, the main language uh, for scientists, uh, for uh, polymath uh, and for uh, astronomer and even for, uh, for artists. But now we can move a little bit, uh, uh, looking at the broader context uh, in what is uh, the economic development of Central Asia, why it's going to be important in terms of cooperation and relationship with, uh, with Asian. And of course, as mentioned at the beginning of my presentation, I'm going to give just a very broad picture of what are the trend, uh, the challenges that Central Asia is going to face. But during the Q&A, feel free to jump in and to ask very specific questions. And I will try my best uh, to, to provide an answer. Uh, Kazakhstan is uh, the most rich uh, uh, country in, uh, in Central Asia, thanks to the fact uh, that uh, uh, it's blessed by huge reserve of uh, hydrocarbons, uh, mostly it's oil, but also the world biggest reserve in uh, uranium and plutonium. So thanks uh, to the fact uh, that uh, there are from day one, very important income deriving from uh, natural resource uh, uh, use uh, uh, and sell to, to country, mostly to, to China Euro and, and to Europe. Kazakhstan is uh, the most developed country uh, in Central Asian economy and uh, geographically is, uh, is the largest one. Besides uh, the extensive uh, hydrocarbon reserve, uh, it's been one of the most successful countries in Central Asia in uh, attracting foreign investment. Uh, not only related to resource extraction, but also in investment uh, uh, on uh, transportation and infrastructure. And this is mainly from China and is linked, as I just mentioned, to the Belt and Road Initiative. Uh, according to the World Bank, uh, uh, in Central Asia, Kazakhstan is the the most easy country uh, to do in business with, uh, but we don't have to forget uh, that uh, it's mostly referred uh, to main city that is Almaty and uh, to the capital uh, Nur Sultan, 
if you look at maps that are a little bit older than a few years, you will not be able to find the capital Nur Sultan because it just changed name recently uh, when the father of the nation, President Nur Sultan Nazarbayev, uh, shifted his power stance in favor of the new president Tokayev. And then Tokayev named the new cap the, the capital uh, Astana with the name uh, of the father of the nation. As you see, uh, having uh, as a father of the nation uh, a strong man that was uh, in power during the Soviet time is not just a specificity of Kazakhstan, but also is a recurring theme in all uh, the other uh, Central Asian countries. But then, having said that, the, the government in Kazakhstan in the, the last 15 years has made a very strong effort in attracting investment, uh, not only from China, but also from Japan, from Korea, uh, from South Korea, for uh, uh, a very historical reason that uh, an important part of the population uh, originated uh, not only from Russia, there are several, uh, in, especially in the northwest east uh, of the country, uh, there is a Russian, uh, ethnic Russian uh, enclave, but also from, uh, from South Korea. Then uh, the efforts were not only related to developing uh, extraction sector, but also to develop uh, local enterprise with the help uh, of uh, European Union, but also Singapore played and is playing nowadays a very important part in the education sector with NUS LKY school partnership with uh, Nazarbayev University. Uh, having said that, uh, Kazakhstan has been hit badly in uh, 2014 with the collapse of the oil prices and uh, COVID-19 definitely is uh, not going to, to help uh, the, the country reform. Uh, it's even going to increase uh, uh, a drop in the GDP for, for the next year. According to the IMF uh, with the recent report, probably we are looking at four to 5% drop in the, in the GDP. And in this respect, uh, the economic outlook still presents uh, several risks, but uh, uh, the government has acted quite fast in trying to cope uh, with, uh, with this risk. Uh, therefore, political stability uh, still remains quite high in, uh, in Kazakhstan. And uh, if you still go back uh, just less than a decade and you look uh, at uh, analysts, especially in the West, looking at transition of power in Central Asia, they were looking basically at uh, problems, even riot or revolt, when it was going to be a time for the father of the nation to step down. In Kazakhstan, it didn't happen. It was a smoothless transition from uh, Nazarbayev to Tokayev. Same uh, in Uzbekistan from uh, uh, Islam Karimov, to uh, the new president. And then uh, the issue about government uh, risk uh, and political stability are more related in Central Asia uh, to Tajikistan that still have Ramon as, uh, Rahman as a strong man, but to Kyrgyzstan that for the third time uh, witnessed riot during the election. And we are just talking a couple of weeks ago. Uh, President Nazarbayev was very successful in uh, balancing relations. 
uh, we are not talking about balancing relation uh, between the United States uh, and China, as everybody are struggling to do it nowadays, but it's balancing relation between uh, Russia and China that are both present on the border of Kazakhstan and with different power. Russians of power, Chinese uh, economic diplomacy and Russian military might are still very present in the country and all over Central Asia. From Kazakhstan, we can move to the Kyrgyz Republic. Kyrgyzstan has been trying hard to change the stand part of, of the name of the country into Kyrgyz Republic. Stan for all these countries, reminiscence of the Persian time and uh, in Persian just means the land of. Uh, land of population that with exception of Uzbekistan with center like Bukhara, Samarkand and Shiva uh, that were uh, metropolis at the time, very rich in terms of culture, of civilization. Uh, most of the other part of the country were uh, related to nomadic tribe that were moving with the herd and they were very active, military speaking, against uh, all kinds of invaders. Uh, only the advent uh, of gunpowder changed uh, the, the fear for sedentary population against uh, the nomadic and, and very aggressive tribe. But backing back to, to Noah Day and talking about the Kyrgyz Republic, uh, we can see uh, a picture that uh, is uh, completely different uh, from uh, the one depicted in uh, Kazakhstan. Kyrgyz economy is quite small, considering also the population is quite small, and uh, the region uh, is not blessed like Kazakhstan by natural resources. It just have very limited natural resources, mostly related to the extraction of gold. And most of these mines now are uh, under Chinese management. Uh, so uh, Kyrgyz Republic uh, is very dependent uh, on the remittance uh, uh, from uh, the Kyrgyz uh, migrant worker, mostly in Moscow and, uh, and in Russia. So you can already figure it out that COVID-19 and the problem uh, with worker movement is going to affect very badly the economic outlook of the Kyrgyz Republic. Uh, according to the World Bank, uh, ease of doing business, uh, if I recall correct, a couple of years ago, uh, uh, Kyrgyzstan was not ranking very well. Uh, the main problem were not related to corruption, uh, but also to a very bureaucratic uh, and ambiguous process uh, to access to the credit system, to repatriate profit, uh, and even for energy for, uh, for the company and the industry that were going to have a startup in the region. Uh, as I said just a few minutes before, uh, Kyrgyz Republic with Tajikistan are probably the most too prone country to relative, uh, relatively conflict-prone country in, in Central Asia. Uh, the risks that affect the two countries are greater compared to the other three countries, and they related to several intra-regional conflicts that can uh, be ignited by water dispute, by border dispute, uh, and also by religious extremism, separatism. And we don't have to forget, and it's almost done, uh, the role of uh, narcotic smuggling. From Afghanistan to Russia, to Europe, 80% uh, of the Afghan opium route uh, moved through uh, Tajikistan and in some part to Kyrgyzstan. 
So in this respect, uh, uh, the narco mafia in the area, especially on the border area, are a severe and mostly underlooked constraint to the developing of the development uh, of uh, the Kyrgyz Republic and, uh, and Tajikistan. And then, uh, of course, uh, uh, poverty, underemployment, uh, and we have to say all this country have a high percentage of young population. Then if you have underemployed, unemployed uh, young population that are not able to access a proper uh, university or even high school, then uh, this can facilitate recruitment uh, for uh, separatist uh, and uh, extremist uh, organization. Moving from Kyrgyz to uh, Tajikistan, we can see that uh, again, uh, we have a country that struggle with poverty and instability, but contrary to uh, Kyrgyz Republic, the strongman from the Soviet Union is still there, and I'm referring to President Rahmon. And since 1994, he has a very strong grip on power of the country, and he restored a modicum of stability and control. Uh, countries still like Kyrgyz Republic uh, has a huge amount of migrant worker, and this increased the economic dependency with Russia. Uh, but Russia also help uh, in addressing security challenge uh, with the border with Afghanistan. Uh, both countries, Kyrgyz and Tajik, have uh, uh, Russian military base uh, in the area. Uh, and then uh, if we look at the main four investor, again, uh, the story is very similar to the other four Central Asian countries. We are looking at Russia, Kazakhstan, uh, increasing Uzbekistan, but of course China as the main uh, uh, driver for economic investment, but we don't have to forget uh, United Kingdom, uh, European Union, and even the United States. And uh, uh, in the past three years, also China uh, has increased something that is quite strange to the Chinese stance uh, uh, outside China, and is uh, military to military training uh, and the transfer of military equipment. But mostly this equipment uh, is related to, to border control. Uh, in terms uh, of uh, easy to do business, Tajikistan is still considered not uh, an easy place uh, uh, to do business. And basically, uh, if any company want to have a modicum of success, uh, uh, need to be very dependent uh, on the relation with the local senior level government official. Uh, let's say that uh, regulation is still complicated most of the time is unclear. And then uh, a recent research carried on, uh, by the US government in the East to do business in the country, underlined that there are more than 200 different strategic development plan in order to attract business. And another problem is the business skill of uh, the young population and on, on the workforce. Uh, having said that, uh, Tajikistan, with some other countries in Central Asia, uh, suffers severely for environmental and climate challenge, uh, not only to the access of water, but to the pollution due to chemical and irrigation to increase uh, agricultural production. Tajikistan, and I will talk a little bit later, uh, or maybe we can talk now about Uzbekistan, during the Soviet time and uh, the Soviet economic development were tasked to basically produce all the cotton. 
for the entire Soviet Union. Uzbek cotton uh, with the Egyptian is still considered uh, one of the best cotton in the world, but at the time, uh, uh, Cotton was not mechanized, it was not a mechanized agriculture. So when it was uh, time for the harvest, basically not only people devoted to agricultural job, but even uh, university students and the university professor were called to the harvest uh, and all the school in the country were closed just because all the able hand, no matter what age, had to uh, harvest the cotton. Things, especially with the new president, are changing and are changing very fast. But then uh, all the strain uh, in using uh, irrigation and chemical in producing cotton from the time of the Soviet era up to now are still creating several problems for the soil salinization and overall desertification. Uh, deforestation, if we look uh, at environmental challenge and climate challenge, also is a cause of concern in Tajikistan. And then, uh, uh, of course, in all these countries, especially in Tajikistan, uh, there is a very limited reach on NGO and reporting in order to have uh, uh, updated data and uh, a better picture on uh, the, the climate change and the problem related to the environmental degradation. Uh, we can see that uh, in the country, uh, effect of poverty played quite badly, especially favoring uh, recruitment from extremist organization. Uh, Kol Jihad uh, is not only affecting, uh, it not only affected in Tajikistan, the poorest area of, of the population, but uh, it, there was a case that was quite famous, uh, if I recall correct, it was in 2015, that a colonel from the Tajik Special Forces uh, swapped his allegiance and then uh, moved to Syria with some of his forces uh, fighting for, uh, for ISIS. Uh, and then, uh, as I mentioned before, uh, narcotic smuggling is still a clear, a present danger uh, at all level because uh, it creates opportunity for corruption and it creates constraint uh, in proper economic development. Uh, Tajikistan is the primary transit country for Afghan narcotics smuggling. Uh, and from that area, from the Kunduz province, uh, it reached uh, Russia and uh, the European market. Uh, in this respect, both the European Union, the United States, and even Russia helped or are helping uh, Tajikistan border force in uh, uh, fighting narcotic smuggling. Uh, the late come in this fight is China with uh, military equipment transfer. But then we are talking about a huge border, as you noticed in the map before, very long border between Tajikistan and Afghanistan, and mostly is mountainous region that are very difficult to control and, uh, and to patrol. Uh, Russia is present uh, with a military base, uh, uh, but nevertheless, uh, in 2018, uh, ISIS uh, claimed uh, a uh, lone wolf attack against uh, American tourists uh, in, in the area and killing with American and Western tourists. They were cycling across uh, uh, Central Asia. Moving from Tajikistan to Turkmenistan, we, we can start to say that Turkmenistan uh, is, is a big challenge for researchers. First and foremost, for the lack of data. 
it's very difficult to have updated data from all kinds of data, from the population, from the security, from the economic standpoint. So basically, Turkmenistan, even more than Kazakhstan, is blessed by uh, abundant natural resource, probably uh, the economic rest on the sales uh, of gas and oil, uh, and Turkmenistan have the world fourth largest uh, gas uh, reserve in uh, in the world. But again, the same as uh, Kazakhstan, the fall of uh, hydrocarbon price in 2014 and the compounded negative effect of COVID-19 nowadays is going to create constraint for Turkmenistan. Having said that, uh, just a few months ago, if I recall correct, uh, Turkmenistan president just announced uh, the intent to build uh, a new city in the country for the total figure of 1.5 billion US dollar. Turkmenistan have uh, a foreign policy of neutrality, that in some respect uh, considerably narrow down uh, any possibility for uh, greater international cooperation or even regional integration. Uh, so we are not sure if there is an increase uh, of uh, security threat uh, from ISIS and Al-Qaeda from Afghanistan. Up to now, statement from the Turkmen government says that uh, security is not an issue in the area. But then uh, we can see that, again, lack of reliable data is so severe that organizations like the World Bank or the International Monetary Fund are not even trying to give an outlook on the, on the country possible development. What we know in official, at official level is that uh, the country is looking at a development plan that is started in 2018 and is going through 2024. And the government uh, is uh, wishing to attract uh, more investment uh, in energy resource exploitation that now basically is just between Turkmenistan and China, who is the main buyer of Turkmen gas, while just a decade before it was Russia with, uh, with Gazprom. Uh, having said that, uh, Turkmenistan of Luke, uh, compared uh, to uh, Kyrgyzstan or even to Tajikistan, uh, look uh, quite stable. And uh, there has been already a shift of power from the father of the nation. And now I just use this term because it was the one that uh, is still used to talk uh, about uh, the, the former president uh, Niyazov that was called uh, in his country Turkmenbashi father of the nation. Uh, the new president, Gurgambuli uh, Berdihumakhedov, I apologize for my pronunciation, is called uh, Arkadag, who is uh, the protector of the nation. Uh, and then, uh, beside the fact that the fall in the gas price uh, are going to severe constrain development, uh, there are still no record of uh, problem uh, to the foreign investment uh, and challenge uh, to the overall social stability. But then again, the absence uh, of reliable macroeconomic data are not going to allow us any kind uh, of uh, analysis uh, in, uh, in the area. And uh, the new project of 1.5 billion for the building uh, of the new city in the Hal province uh, that not by chance the governor of the province uh, is the son 
of uh, Arkadag, of the president, uh, then uh, is going to raise some question about the possibility in having that kind of, uh, of funding. Having said that, we can move uh, from this very brief uh, economic analysis uh, to Uzbekistan, who is an extremely promising country among uh, all uh, uh, Central Asian countries. Uh, it didn't have the chance to have natural resources uh, like Turkmenistan or uh, Kazakhstan, but uh, following uh, uh, the shift of power from the Uzbek father of the nation, who was uh, President Islam Karimov, uh, during, and he, he died in 2016, uh, the new president, uh, Mirzoyev, uh, is leading uh, a very ambitious program uh, of economic development uh, that uh, is focused uh, on the younger part uh, of the Uzbek population. Education, political reform, government uh, are still uh, very promising. Uh, the currency, the tank has been liberalized in 2017. Uh, there was a big uh, devaluation, some critics and some problem, but then uh, uh, it opened the economy to broader trade and investment, uh, not only from Russia and, and China. Business uh, environment, uh, a better business environment uh, is uh, underscored uh, as the main uh, priority for the Uzbek government uh, and the World Bank recognized it uh, in the, the latest uh, ease of doing business report uh, in, uh, in 2019. Uh, and in this respect, uh, Uzbek leadership uh, is still uh, very keen in attracting foreign investment. Uh, but up to now, we see that the number of and the scope and scale of this investment uh, is still very limited. An important part uh, uh, is played by the local community that have a very strong uh, ethnic relationship with uh, South Korea. Uh, and the country established the special economic development zone uh, with uh, the help of China. And... Uh, up to now, COVID definitely is going to reduce the scope and the size of this economic zone and program. But I do believe that still Uzbekistan is on the path of very fast development. But then again, there are security challenges. Islamic extremist movement like IMU, Islamic movement of Uzbekistan are still active not uh, uh, in Central Asia, but on the fringe, moving from uh, Middle East, North Africa through Afghanistan. And uh, there, is, uh, uh, there was uh, a greater number of Uzbek uh, foreign fighters fighting for uh, ISIS and, uh, and Al-Qaeda. And this security challenge, uh, again, uh, uh, are still looming as a possible terrorist threat. Uh, as mentioned before, uh, the problem of legacy of cotton still uh, uh, affects nowadays economic development in Uzbekistan, especially if we look at the exploitation of water resources. And water resources create easily uh, border conflict between Central Asian countries and are up to now a very big problematic hindrance in regionalization to have a common economic market in the region. UN, especially UNDP, has been very active with several other initiatives with multilateral development bank from the European Bank of Reconstruction Development, Asia Development Bank with CARIC Initiative, AIB, Islamic Development Bank, and so on. 
And then, uh, last but not least, uh, Uzbekistan uh, in Tashkent is uh, uh, the, the site for the regional anti-terrorism structure organization uh, that has been established under the chapter of the CO with uh, the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. So I said before, uh, IMU was a uh, a threat now is still reduced, but it's still a threat. And there are still nowadays skirmishes between border forces in Kyrgyz and Tajik Republic with IMU and Uzbek fighter. And Uzbek, this group has still been quite active in, in the Middle East. Uh, before I leave the floor uh, to the Q&A, I just want to give you some of the broader perception. One of the broad perception about uh, Central Asia is energy. You can see from the map uh, the corridor that cross all Central Asia. Not, don't look only the east-west perspective, but also focus on the north-south perspective that is going to witness uh, an increasing uh, number of projects that are going to link Pakistan uh, through Afghanistan uh, with the port of Gadar, Chabahar in Iran, uh, and so on. And this is one of the part of the story of Central Asia nowadays, and is rooted in energy and energy corridor. Another part uh, of the story is the Belt and Road Initiative. As I mentioned before, for the first time, the Belt and Road Initiative was pre presented at the Nazarbayev University by President Xi Jinping in 2013. And you can see cross uh, a notable part uh, of uh, Central Asia, moving goods uh, via railway from China to Duisburg, Uch, and, uh, and Rotterdam in the, in the European Union. There are still some quite interesting historical note uh, in the transportation is the fact that when uh, the rail convoy are moved between uh, China and uh, uh, Russia, they have to change the carriage because there is a difference in, in sides because uh, still from the time of the Tsar, uh, there was this uh, fear, yellow peril or sinophobia that China was going to invade and so uh, denying the, the truck, the same truck to the Chinese uh, train, armored train, was one of the way to, to stop uh, a possible China uh, invasion in uh, in that area. Moving from uh, the Silk Road Economic Belt, uh, that uh, is uh, the land part of uh, the Belt and Road Initiative, uh, we can look uh, at the fact that uh, most uh, of uh, the narrative on Central Asia uh, is related to Russia, military and security footprint, uh, in the region and China economic diplomacy. Uh, in my personal opinion, it's quite naive approach. Definitely China is one of the leading uh, economic investor and trade partner, but we don't have to forget that also Russia with the custom union is a very important partner for the economy. Uh, Kyrgyz, Tajik and other Central Asian migrant worker working in Moscow and Russia are still an important component of their own country economic development. And then, of course, uh, in security term, China is slowly increasing uh, bilateral security cooperation with uh, countries in Central Asia that share border and common problem with China. Definitely Russia, not only due to the fact that have several military bases in the area is, uh, is quite important, 
uh, but all these countries are part uh, of the former Soviet bloc. And having said that, uh, they share uh, material, all the military hardware, training, uh, and all official at area level are uh, still uh, trained uh, in, uh, in Russia. So Russian soft power also is very important because uh, the lingua franca is Russian all over the Central Asia. Now it's changing, especially if we move to Kyrgyzstan, Turkmenistan and so on, but if we still uh, in Uzbekistan or Kazakhstan, the use of Russian language and all Russian soft power that come with that, uh, it's, uh, it's quite important. And then, uh, I would like to finish uh, and uh, give uh, the, the floor uh, to, to the Q&A, just uh, looking at the challenge that uh, Central Asia is, uh, is going to face uh, in the years to come. As you can see, national, as mentioned before, national identity, internal stability, border and water dispute are going to create uh, additional regional integration problem. Then uh, we have the so-called three evils of terrorism, separatism, religious extremism, uh, narcotic smuggling. But then we have multiple economic club and security club. I just put some uh, logo and you can see the SEO on the top, Shanghai Cooperation Organization, the Organization for Security and Cooperation in, in Europe, uh, the CSTO, who is the Collective Security and Trade Organization. Then uh, you have the one in Rotom, who is the EAEU, who is the Eurasian uh, Economic Union, that not only include uh, Central Asia, but Russia, Belarus, uh, and so on. Then you have CAREC, uh, that uh, is an initiative sponsored by the Asian Development Bank. And at the end, uh, you have the ECO, who is the economic cooperation organization that has been spearheaded uh, a while ago from Turkey, Iran, and Pakistan with Central Asian country. Definitely, uh, if you like Central Asia and look at acronyms, uh, you can just take a look at this slide. I'm not going to comment it, but these are all the competing, complementing, overlapping economic and security organization that are mostly present up to now in, uh, in Central Asia. Thank you, Dr. Arduino, for that. Have a good evening, everyone. Thanks, Alex. Thank you very much. Good evening.